When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome into the Friday edition of Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here, and for the first hour of the show from ESPN, joining me, Myron Metcalf. What is up, Myron? Doing well, man. Glad to be back. Well, Myron, uh, I want to talk to you about a couple of things around the league. Yeah. Because we're in that OTA phase where everybody's saying stuff, but nobody's actually doing stuff. So coming up uh, on the hour, I want to talk a little dysfunction, as we do love here, little Kirk Cousins. And also, you might hate for this, Myron, but... Pass interference rules. Is that going to be okay with you? I'm, I'm all over that, man. It's a, it's a beautiful Friday outside, yeah. so at least that can lighten your mood after we talk about uh, pass interference rules. We'll get to that eventually. Definitely. But you know, this week, something that I kind of overlooked and then circled back to, I was like, wait a minute, this was in the headlines, but it didn't really grab me, but let me kind of reevaluate this, was Baker Mayfield calling out uh, his running back, Duke Johnson, who's been with the Cleveland Browns for quite some time, is a really solid player, but he feels like he's not the man in Cleveland and he wants new contract, he wants to get traded, all that stuff. And Baker Mayfield basically said, like, if you don't want to be here, get out. Yeah. And it kind of sounded like Baker was siding with the Browns, saying, yeah, sorry, man, we're not going to be able to keep you around, we're not going to pay you, we're not going to make you the number one running back. And it just came into my mind... Like, we've decided, because he had a decent rookie season, that Baker Mayfield was just a good quarterback, and let's go on forward with our lives. No. I wonder if you think that Baker Mayfield still has a lot to prove, or if you think, you know what, last year he showed that he can be the man, that he can live up to the expectations of the number 1 overall pick, and we're just going forward, and Cleveland should be a great team this year. Yeah, I'm the type of person where, like, how many quarterbacks have had good two- to three-year stretches in NFL history, like a bunch. I mean, we can name a bunch of guys who two, three years, they were pretty good. But the consistency to me is the thing that you have to master before you can be called great. I think Baker Mayfield benefits from the rags to riches story of the Cleveland Browns. I mean, you start out on hard knocks and Terod Taylor's the starter and they're hyping him up as the first one in the building and Hugh Jackson is saying, that's our guy. Baker isn't ready. So then when Baker gets his shot after Terod gets hurt three games into the season, it's easier to look like a hero in that moment. 
and I felt like he had a he had a hell of a year, man. I mean, for a rookie quarterback, I think to finish the way he did, at a minimum, it made you wonder if Hugh Jackson had been a good coach or, or even a mediocre coach, and had been able to say, yeah, Terod Taylor is maybe a solid backup, but he ain't going to lead you anywhere. And I'm not sure how you could be deceived by what Buffalo did the previous year and think that in his very limited role there. I mean, yes, he got the job done, but he also lost his job, you know, at some point midway through the season. Baker, in terms of that dynamic that Baker brings to the table, he's a winner. He's a guy that you think could be a playmaker. That's why you drafted him. So I felt like Baker did enough to make you go, what happens if he starts 16 games last year? Uh, there may be a playoff team in a discombobulated combobulated division, in a division that is just the Steelers weren't the Steelers. Lamar Jackson's trying to lead the Ravens to the promised land. A lot was going on. But I think Baker is off to a good start. Great quarterback, I'm not on that because I think that's just something we should reserve for guys who've been consistent, uh, guys who have been able to do it multiple years, and I think Baker will really be tested this year. He won't surprise as many people. There is no sport where you can go from being great to average like the NFL just based on how smart and talented everyone is in that league and how much they game plan. So I think Baker's a really good player. Uh, we'll see if he can do it again. Well, you know, I remember having a conversation when he was drafted number one overall uh, with someone from Pro Football Focus about his numbers in college and what the PFF numbers said about him. And he basically broke all their metrics <laughs> because yeah. he had such uh, incredible accuracy grades and, and all those things and was even mobile enough to make plays with his legs and could throw the ball down the field and all those things. So they were all in on him as the number one pick. And I didn't disagree with that based on what he had done at Oklahoma. And I, and I didn't buy into the, oh, it's just the system. It's just the system. Like, that's a, a heck of a lot of amazing passing he did. Like, you know, the yeah. system only does so much. It yeah. doesn't make you that good as, as Baker was in college. But the one thing that always held me back from saying, yeah, I'm all in on this guy, because I was not concerned about his height or anything like that. I think we've debunked that yeah. kind of a long time ago that you could be on the shorter side and still, great. Be, right, you're good. still be a really good NFL yeah. quarterback. Well, it's kind of like a basketball player, right? If you make it at 5'10", then you're probably really darn good, the fact yeah. that you're even there. Yeah. Um, so... All in on his talent, all in on his accuracy, the smarts. He comes across as a very intelligent guy. But the whole thing about grabbing his crotch and planting the flag and and things like that, those are things that it's very easy to say, hey, come on, man, he's just having fun out there and everything else. But the quarterback position is so much different. If a wide receiver was doing that, you might go, yeah, whatever, that's wide receivers. You know, If a defensive player is doing that, okay, we've seen lots of defensive linemen with big personalities who mess around and do stuff like that. Quarterback is different because everything that you do and say is under such a gigantic microscope, and especially in a city in Cleveland where they've been desperate for that position for so so long and you have to be really careful about the things you say even Kirk Cousins things that he said last year and Cousins is the most buttoned up like I'm a professional quarterback guy but things he said alienated the locker room at times last year and had guys turn against him in some ways and I think Baker is really um this whole act of him having a chip on his shoulder and I'm going to be the guy that says things that nobody says 
There's a reason that nobody says those things, though, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Be- because you are in charge of the other 52 guys on that team, and you're the front door to the franchise. So when you go calling somebody out about their contract situation, essentially, I mean, everybody else in that locker room is like, wait a minute, man. Okay, hold on. You're not Tom Brady. Yeah. You haven't done anything in this league to call me out about my contract situation or another one of our guys. But, Kyler, don't you welcome this if you add a guy like OBJ? A guy who, it seems, spent more time focusing on customizing his Bentley than actually finding his way to minicamp. I mean, a guy who Freddie Kitchens calls out and says, hey, what has he missed? Oh, just the offense. <laughs> and, yeah. and Freddie tried to clean that up. Yeah. You know, but it's like, no, Freddie, we heard it. We heard what you said about your star receiver. You're not off to a great start. So I think I can see how Baker, in a situation with Duke, where he feels like I've got to show that we're going to go forward one way or the other. I've got to make a, a strong statement here. I can see where a young quarterback would feel compelled to say, okay, I can't sit on the fence. I've got to make it clear to the guys in the locker room, we're going with or without you. At the same time, it is so easy to mess up the chemistry in that locker room. And as much as I think Cleveland is a team where you go, man, the pieces they've added defensively, uh, you had Odell Beckham Jr., Baker Mayfield in year two. I, I mean, that's a division where you go, there's no promises. What, Lamar Jackson does it again? I, I don't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big Ben, is he at the end of, uh, is the torch going out for him? We'll see. But I still look at a Baker Mayfield and go, you still got to earn that. And football's one of those sports where you can you can appease the top guys. But if, if guys, you know, 41 through 53 on that roster, like those dudes matter. They matter because the operation is too big for them not to matter. So Baker strikes me as a guy who loves to make big statements. He loves the camera. I mean, that dude loves the Oh, yeah, for sure. Like he loves the reality show element. Mm-hmm. And, again, you bring in OBJ, you can't be surprised if you're the Browns. But now you got to back that up. I guess I'll say it with Kirk Cousins. I'd love to see him make a statement like that. Now, I'm not saying you make it or he's even earned a position to say it's me or nothing else. Come with me and follow me. I don't think he's earned that. But I think if, if Kirk stood up and made a declarative statement uh, about not just I've got to get better, but I will get better, I think there are a whole lot of folks who will rally around that and go, you know what, man? That's what I want to hear my quarterback say. I want to, I want to hear you say something that sounds – Borderline arrogant, mm-hmm. but you're an NFL quarterback. I want you to have a little bit of that. So I think Baker probably has too much of that. Yep, yep. But we got a guy who maybe doesn't have enough of that at all. Isn't it amazing to you that they play 16 times a year and the rest of the time is when you can ruin everything? Exactly. <laughs> That's, yeah, We're talking now. about OTAs, but oh, when you have so much pressure with the amount of media that is on now that if you Wild. make one – a little faux pas with something you say in an OTA press conference, that can stick with people for a really long time. And there were even a few things that Kirk Cousins said last year in OTAs that stuck with people in that locker room because it sounded like he was calling them out in a press conference or it sounded like he was being kind of a little bit like he's trying to pick on them in the press conference, but it comes across as, hey, why would you say that about me and that sort of thing. And I don't think that Cousins does the delicate dance super well, and we know in D.C. that 
that players didn't always get along with him either. Yeah. And I heard that uh, one receiver said he would sign anywhere but Minnesota, basically, because he didn't want to play with Kirk Cousins again. That's not so, good. Nope, that's not particularly good. But But you're right that... Um, you can't really change Kirk Cousins' personality at this point, though. He's a grown man. He's been around yeah. for a while. He could change the way he presents when he makes mistakes and things like that. And I think that he will. I think that he heard about that a lot last year from guys about how he handled some of those post-game press conferences. So that's kind of a tweak that you make. But with Baker Mayfield, it's like you you can run hot but you can't run too hot or you burn up. And in the NFL, man, there's just so much pressure that goes on with it. You might say, oh, yeah, he could just be so cocky, but eventually that can get to you. So I'm interested to see if things go wrong, if there's adversity there, if they go two and three to start the season. It's possible. (laughs) Right. How is Baker Mayfield now? Is he still responding to Colin Cowherd on Twitter and things like that? Yeah. Like, you got to shut that down. You're an NFL quarterback. I I mean, you just come across as looking unprofessional. You should be arrogant. Yeah, arrogant, unprofessional. And and then how are you going to handle it if things do go wrong for him? But you got OBJ and Baker there. They were made for each other because they're both gonna they're they're both gonna play victim. They're both gonna bask in the media spotlight and try to manipulate it to their advantage. And folks in our position are not gonna shy away from right, giving we them accept all the, attention, the quotes. Yeah, thank all you. the attention they want. They're gonna get it. Um so you sent me your list yeah. uh, of the most dramatic teams in the NFL and you had Cleveland number two. And I'm I'm totally with you that Cleveland is still on the list of dramatic, and also I think they, until proven otherwise, belong on the dysfunctional list. Yes, too. So because these two things are kind of married to me is the most dysfunctional teams and the most dramatic teams. But your number one, and I don't disagree with you at all for drama and just must see TV. If we could get them on Hard Knocks, the Oakland Raiders. Why did you pick them as number one? Because I think this thing could explode before they ever get to Vegas, which which would be really fascinating. I mean, they got one more year before Vegas. John Gruden, like Kyler, if John Gruden completely fails this year, it's just a disaster, right? And bringing in Richie Incognito, I don't know how that helps your locker room. Bringing in Antonio Brown, who's going to spend the season telling you why Juju Smith-Schuster is a terrible human being or, or a bad teammate, you know, going at Big Ben instead of focusing on what you have going on. I don't know how this helps you. Derek Carr is in a make-or-break year, really, for his career, I feel like. He was better than people thought last year. I mean, he didn't get enough credit. He had some moments. But this is like a year for Derek Carr where it's like, you're either the franchise quarterback here or you're not. So John Gruden has all these mysterious pieces, and he has yet to prove that he can coach – NFL football in this decade and, and can do it to a degree where you're dealing with the personalities, dealing with everything that comes with that. I think he just made his job harder, man, with all the people he brought in. And 10 years, 10, 10 years, $100 million. That's what everybody talked about. You're telling me he's the leader of this team a year from now if this is a disaster? I, I don't see it. If, if this, I mean, what are we talking about disaster? Are we talking about like 4 and 12? Which, yeah, I, th- I think that's the kind of... And then to me, it's the off-the-field stuff, too. You, you just brought in Richie Incognito. Antonio Brown is going to make this entire entire season... Well, don't break your mic. Sorry, I didn't mean to break my mic. Antonio Brown is going to make this entire season about Antonio Brown. Yeah. If you're John Gruden, this, this is what you want? 
You know, Reggie McKenzie, he gets out of there. First off, he didn't listen to him last year anyway. He wasn't really a GM. And then made all these moves to sort of clean out the old era. Uh, okay, the show's yours. What do you have to show for it? So I've always kind of been a Gruden apologist, even when he was on TV. I know that everyone made fun of Spider-2i Banana, but A, Spider-2i Banana's good play. Yeah. Throw it to the fullback, Andrew Luck. I don't know how many people would get that reference, but yeah. he went bananas yes. uh, right? Yeah. on uh, yeah. Andrew Luck. He went absolutely crazy on Andrew Luck for not throwing to the fullback on Spider-2i Banana when they did the quarterback thing. I always loved those so much, bringing in the rookie quarterbacks, breaking them down. And he was one of the guys to first bring the X's and O's to TV at that sort of level. Yes. Like John Madden started that, and then Gruden took it to a higher level. And then everyone loves Tony Romo for doing a lot of the same things John Gruden was doing on TV. Yep. So I, I was always an apologist for him. It felt like... He would be the guy that's so obsessed with football that he stays dialed in and knows exactly what's going on and doesn't always reveal it on TV, but has ideas of his own. And I actually liked the Khalil Mack trade from where Oakland was as opposed to paying him at a, basically a quarterback contract for an edge rusher on a team that wasn't yet ready to win. And going all in with AB, I mean, I kind of love any time a team in sports goes all in because it's going to be fun one way or the other. Yeah. If it blows up, it's going to be amazing. And if not, um, but I, but I think that uh, it gave Derek Carr the best chance to win, even if Antonio Brown is kind of a mess. And the Richie Incognito thing, I'll even stretch to try to slightly defend that. Okay. To, to say that his entire time in Buffalo, there weren't any problems. Yeah. And he was a pro bowler and was really good. Yeah. So, I mean, he's had a lot, a lot of problems. But it's also Oakland, and it's not easy to get talent. I also thought they had a pretty solid draft overall. So I think that they're I, they're in a tough division to do this because it's the Chargers and it's the Chiefs. So I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't make the playoffs. But I tend to think that the Raiders are going to somehow make this work. Yeah. You are describing best-case scenario. Which, Worst case scenario could be insane. Well, I think everything when it comes to the Raiders and John Cruden, I think you have to start with worst case scenario. Everything you describe is possible. Maybe Derek Carr and Antonio Brown are one of the more prolific duos uh, in the NFL. Maybe Richie Incognito cleans up his act. Maybe these young guys they brought in through the draft come in and make an immediate impact. Or you've got a coach who remind you early on, like he did last year, ah, Derek Carr ain't that good, which is essentially what he said last year. Mm-hmm. You got a guy in Richie Incognito who might be the force in the locker room, the negative force in the locker room he was at various stops. A guy in Antonio Brown, who remember last year with the Steelers, stays at an Airbnb during training camp, doesn't stay with his teammates, stays off campus, and there are a lot of guys, if you believe the ESPN the Magazine story, who didn't think he was staying there, who thought Antonio Brown was doing his own thing, while these guys are trying to build camaraderie. You've got all of that, and then you're saying, let's go win some football games? I understand the potential of what you're saying, but this could also be a situation where I think we get to week six and go, there's just no way this can last. Yeah, and I'm not really a huge buyer of Derek Carr. I I think that he had everything go right for him one year, and that's that been it. really it yeah. Yep, for his entire career. And it was even that offense, a lot of checkdowns, yeah. a lot of throwing to the running backs. And yeah, Donald you know, Penn was healthy. I mean, a lot of 
on the old line. Oh, the old line is unbelievable. Yeah. And, and then the other thing too is Amari Cooper goes to Dallas, and it's not like they have Joe Montana in Dallas. Yeah. And all of a sudden he looks like a superstar receiver. Yeah. It's like is Antonio Brown going to be? happy with the way that Derek Carr plays quarterback because I think that he is very Sam Bradfordian in, <laughs> in in how much he checks down and how conservative he yeah. is that he just doesn't seem to be a huge risk taker. And then there were even questions. You remember how, of course, anyone who wins a little gets hyped up as the best leader of all time? Yeah. Um, like, like Carson Wentz get, got that same hype and then it came out last offseason that that wasn't really the truth. Yeah. Um, and now he just got paid, and everyone's saying, "Oh my gosh, why did you pay him?" Yeah, right. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, no, it's amazing, <laughs> and I, and I want to talk about that a little when we come back. Um, but you know, I think that that would be my one major holdup. I can't, I mean, I'm really interested in Gruden. I've always been an apologist for Gruden, and I think that it's possible that they surprise and are very good. Yeah. But I'm just not sure that Derek Carr is that great of a quarterback. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Myron Metcalf is in for the first hour here of Purple Daily when we return. So Myron made his list of most dramatic teams, and next, well, you know them and love them quite a bit, is the next team on your list. Plus Carson Wentz, as you said, Myron, got paid. We will discuss when we return here on Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business? Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Welcome back. A beautiful Friday outside. A beautiful time to be in your car or be podcasting. This episode of Purple Daily, Matthew Collar and Myron Metcalf with you here for the first hour. Judd Zolgad, Rami Maklov will be in. We'll do our hot routes in the second hour. We're going to get you on that eventually, Myron. We're going to get you on hot routes. Get me on it, man. man. Can you pull some strings? I will. I'll, okay. I'll see what I can do. Yeah, you're Since a powerful guy, man. You got you my got show here, man. I made it up. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll 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 try it. We'll Make get it happen. It, we'll get it soon. So, you made your list of the most dramatic teams in the NFL, and the first two on your list were Oakland and Cleveland. Number 3, you put the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. Please explain, Mr. Metcalf. I, again, it's that worst-case, best-case scenario thing. I could see this team going into the season and, and you've got Kirk Cousins as recognize his flaws, is a better leader. Kyle Rudolph is happy. Um, Gary Kubiak is putting his touch on the offense. Zimmer feels more focused because he's got a guy he can trust, a couple of guys he can trust to run the offense, and he can do what he does best defensively. I could also see a situation where we get out of training camp and this team is just a mess. Kirk is still being Kirk, a guy who hasn't really been been the leader you want him to be. Like, for me, the biggest thing right now is, can anyone tell me that Thielen, Diggs, and Cousins are all on the same page? Add in Rudolph into that mix, too. Well, Diggs hasn't been at OTAs. Rudolph has been worried about his contract. So that's a that, to me, is like something that could boil over here. Uh, if, if Kirk doesn't do what I think he has to do as a leader, Kubiak's a guy who... His his title is an offensive coordinator, but essentially that's how he's expected to perform. 
What's the give and take there with all those folks in that room trying to say this is what's best for this team? You've got a guy in Dalvin Cook who's going, uh, make sure you're using me as much as I should be used here. Right, yeah. Because I don't want you – I don't want to be your fourth and fifth guy every down. Like, you you got to put me in the game, coach. And that's just offense, Collar. That's not even that's not even defensively. So uh, your colleague, Courtney Cronin, yesterday went all in with hot take because we were talking about worst-case scenario, best-case scenario, who's yeah. going to get the credit, who's going to get the blame, that sort of thing. And she was saying that if the offense even sputters out of the gate, Gary Kubiak could be calling those plays like, by, by, like, week five or six if oh. they don't do well right off the spot. Yeah, I got one beyond that. He's in a perfect position to take over if this is a disaster and Zimmer gets fired. Yeah. Like, I mean, the easiest thing that could happen to me, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a disaster, and I don't think it will be. But Kubiak's right there to take a couple of jobs. But again, if you are if you are the guys in that room, is Kubiak somewhere you go, I'm glad I've got a guy like that who's there uh, with his experience? When you're winning, you do that. When you're winning, you're like, man, we got this guy. Everything he's accomplished in his career. When you're losing, and all of a sudden it becomes, yeah, let's fix this. That's what I wonder about the Minnesota Vikings. I don't care about weeks one through four. They'll be whatever they're going to be. Week six, Collar, and it's tweak this, tweak that. Who's repairing the car? Who's opening up the hood? And who's making those repairs? Not only that, but who has the final say? That's, and, and, we, and we can't get them to tell us anything about Gary Kubiak. Now, this is one of the bizarre things it's weird. the offseason. It's very weird. It is. So we asked, they held the press conference with Kubiak and Stefanski, and we asked, okay, so how did this come about? Uh, we don't remember. Well, when did they call you? I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Well, what do you do here exactly? I don't know. But, exactly. man, remember Shannon Sharp and the Broncos are like, <laughs> Uh, yes, okay. but what exactly is your job? Uh, and even the title is ambiguous enough. Assistant coach and offensive assistant, it's like... Assistant to the regional ass- manager yeah, or something. Right, yeah, yeah, like- exactly. And I think that your point is exactly correct because when the Vikings went 5-0 and with Shermer as the tight ends coach, I'm using air quotes, tight ends coach, and Norv Turner as the offensive coordinator, there was a power struggle, classic power yes. struggle. When things went wrong, when they were 5-0, and everybody was happy. Yep. But when things went wrong in Chicago in, I think it was week 6, might have been coming out of the bye week, week 7, and it all fell apart, that's when, um, no, it was Philly where it fell apart, and then Chicago where it really became a mess and Dorf Turner walked away. And that was it. And that was exactly what we're describing is things were going well, everyone was happy. Oh, yeah, Norv and Shermer, they just love each other. Yeah. West New Coast. Winning. You know, old school air raid or whatever. You know, um, what was uh, what was turn? I think yeah, that was with turn. But anyway, air court. That's when you went. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then all of a sudden it goes to hell in a handbasket real quick. And that's the situation that they've basically put themselves in here by trying to bring in an OG over somebody who is the up and coming coach of Kevin Stefanski. Yeah, and that to me is the chemistry. The chemistry in that room will be very important. Now, I will say Kubiak's a vet, and he's a dude who understands, I think, how to help a team. I think he's here to help Zimmer as a coach and a friend. But that stuff can go south too, man. Again, if you're winning, we'll be saying, oh, how great was it to bring in Kubiak? If things are struggling, people are struggling, then it's, do you trust Stefanski? And if I'm Stefanski, 
you can say whatever you want to say to me if you're Mike Zimmer about how much control I have. I know there's a dude with a ring back there behind me. Yep. I know there's a dude who's got more experience than I have in my head, and this guy has proven I'm no dummy. I know you brought this guy in as a potential replacement. So I think that to me is something that does not affect secure teams. It destroys insecure teams. And there are a lot of things that could happen to, you know, kind of enhance that insecurity. If I'm Irv Smith Jr., let's say in training camp, it's clear that Irv Smith Jr. is the number one tight end on this team. What happens then? You know, what what do you do? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you sort out, even with this offense, who your number one target is? And what if Kirk decides, this Irv guy I've got no history with. There's no drama there. I'm going to make sure I feed this kid because I like him. And I'm going to make sure that we're going to move forward together because he's an outsider kind of like me. So many things could go wrong, man. And if you had a more secure quarterback position, I think, or someone who was a little more proven, had some rings, had a few more wins underneath his belt, then you might not be worried about this so much. You'd be saying, well, you know, if there's drama within the coaches, who cares because Tom Brady will take care of it or Drew Brees is going to take care of it. You're never going to hear about coaches having issues behind the scenes when Drew Brees is your quarterback. Not that it doesn't happen, but it just doesn't matter. Because Drew Brees is the one who runs that franchise and he's in charge. In this case, who has the final say is a great question because we know who it is for a couple of franchises. You know who it's going to be in Green Bay? It's going to be Aaron Rodgers. Who has the final say on offense? Well, Mike Zimmer is not that guy because he said, oh, offense, never heard of it. Exactly. What what, what is that? Yeah, stop offenses. That's what I do here. That's right. And and so, you know, what's, what's fascinating about putting them on the list is that the Vikings have the potential as sort of like powder keg to blow up with drama and hurt feelings and all these things that have been building up. You mentioned Stefanski. Well, this is a guy that got passed over by Mike Zimmer once before yeah. for John Filippo, who was a kind of a joker, yeah. right? And so, yeah. like, you think that those bad feelings just go away? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think so. So uh, it's got that potential. It also has the potential to be the right offense for Kirk Cousins. Definitely. For Kyle Rudolph to get the contract figured out and for this team to be really good. Yep. And the wide variance of potential outcomes for this season is why I love uh, this this Vikings year. Like, from a just reporter standpoint, it's got so much intrigue in so many different areas. You're right, yeah. you didn't even get to the defensive side. It's amazing. We'll know by week, what do you think, six? Yeah, I think so. Or do you think it'll be earlier than that? No, I think it'll take a few weeks, because even if there is, like, even if there's a Buffalo game mixed in there somewhere, yeah. We'll say, eh, you know, it's still early. It's still early. Yeah. There might be. Now, here's what's interesting about last season. So, your cohort, Courtney Crone, and I, we spent a lot of time out there grinding on the practice field. We knew things were a little off in OTAs last year. Now, it has you not just felt. You feel it. You just feel it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, even like Cousins and Thielen had a very similar uh, disagreement on the sideline at OTAs. So, huh. when that happened, week 17, we went. We've seen this before on the sidelines. And in training camp, they couldn't finish a two-minute drill. There was confusion on the offensive side and frustration. And the offensive line was clearly a problem last year in training camp. So we knew then. We had a conversation, her and I, then. This team could go 8-8, and we said. And, And everyone was upset, but it was like, it's just got that look to it. Now, this year, it doesn't feel that way so far in OTAs, but we're super early. 
We'll start to get a sense in camp. No. But I think when we'll really know is probably, like you said, four to six weeks into the year, because even a bad loss in the beginning of the year happens to a lot of teams and they get it together. But this team, can they even survive a bad loss? Because last year... They really struggle that that Buffalo game had ripple effects all the way down the line for them. Can they bounce back? I mean, that is a really important question that you're asking because you're going to need a sense of resilience. But but who controls that? Right. Your coaching staff and your quarterback. Right. I mean, you mentioned Drew Brees. I mean, the Saints don't get down in difficult, forget even difficult games, difficult drives. I mean, that to me, it's the in-game resilience you're going to need if you're these uh, the Vikings with Kirk Cousins. And like we made fun of Terrell Owens when he cried about Tony Romo. That's my teammate. That's my quarterback. It's still hilarious. Still a great meme. Still <laughs> yeah, a great no, meme. It definitely is. But I tell you what, one thing that makes me really comfortable as an NFL fan is when I know my receivers would jump in front of a bus for my quarterback. Yep. I want to see it. I don't care if it's real or fake. I want publicly – to see that the offensive weapons that I need for my team to succeed, I want them to be talking that talk in the preseason to say, look, we are riding with that dude. We mm-hmm. had a conversation earlier about Baker Mayfield yeah. trying to assert himself as that guy. It should really come from the locker room. It should really come from other players. So to me, if I saw Adam Thielen and Diggs and Rudolph and all these guys saying, look, that dude's about to get better in year two, you watch oh, we know that dude is going to progress from who he was. As a Vikings fan, I'd be so pumped for that. I haven't heard that. Like I haven't heard that sentiment in that locker room from guys that I know have to have that relationship on the field with Kirk Cousins, and that would make me nervous because I'm going, where is – I mean, we're talking X's and O's, fine. We're talking personnel changes and coaching changes, fine. Do y'all like each other? Because that's yeah. something that to me – when when everything's down, when you're down in a tough game, that's that thing that is the missing piece for the teams that struggle in those moments and the teams that figure it out. It is kind of interesting to me, even with Rudolph, that he's felt comfortable being really out there about this contract situation. Yeah. And again, as a reporter, I accept your statements. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thank you for speaking to the media. And there is a, a certain amount that I really respect about it. Like, hey, I'm going to just come and tell you guys what's going on here. There was a contract extension offer and other teams are interested and that sort of thing. I respect the openness. Yeah. However, I would say that uh, that was my worst Stephen A. However. Yeah. However. How, however. Okay, however. Don't have the voice today to do it. <laughs> Kevin um, Durant. <laughs> Kyle Rudolph, Kirk um, Cousins. Are you? You got to be kidding me, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins. Um, but I, I do wonder this though: if you're the if you're the guy, yeah. and I and I know you can't expect Kirk Cousins to be Tom Brady, but he's the all time example here. Yeah. If you're the guy, and you know that it's a distraction to have somebody out there always talking about their contract every time they're in front of the media, social media, everything else, you could go behind the scenes to him if you're the guy and be like. Hey, we need you to cut that out. We just need you to beat OTAs. And if you don't want to be here, don't want to be here. Like Baker Mayfield should have done that with Duke Johnson behind the scenes. Yeah. Right? He shouldn't have done it at a a podium. And Tom Brady, I think, does that behind the scenes. 
the fact that Kyle Rudolph's perfectly comfortable just coming out saying, yeah, other teams want me, and if I'm not here, who cares? Yeah. You're like, well, this doesn't sound like we're all in. This doesn't sound like everybody's behind the quarterback, is what yeah. it always comes back to. And I'm not sure that Kirk Cousins has ever fully understood this himself, is that maybe it was because Washington never really bought into him. Yeah. But it's like everything comes back to you. You are the guy. And when you sign that contract, you are the franchise quarterback. There's a reason we call it that, not just quarterback. Yeah. Because you're the franchise when you have that contract and you're the guy. And everything reflects on you how everyone acts there. It's like if you're the manager at a grocery store. Yep. Everything that your stock clerks do around you that are paid way less than you, exactly. that all reflects on you because you're the one directing them. Not the offensive coordinator, not Gary Kubiak, not Mike Zimmer. It's all back to Kirk Cousins. And that's where I... I kind of say, like, to your point, yeah, are they really on the same page? One guy's yeah. not there. One guy's complained by his contract. Adam Thielen, you yelled at in Week 17 last year. You could talk about how, you, oh, it's all good, it's all good. Okay. But, okay, right? <laughs> When's the next thing going to go wrong? Yeah. So this, this team definitely has that, uh, that potential. Now, I, I'll give you the final two teams that you put on the list, but I want to, before you go, ask you about something else because um, this is kind of driving me a little bit crazy, so I want to throw it at you. Um, Cowboys and Arizona. I love Arizona. I love, love, love the Arizona like, like storylines. You like the GQ uh, looking coaches, yeah. <laughs> the model, the model looking coaches. Well, well what I love the most is just the storylines that you know. We had an Arizona reporter on the show a few weeks ago that said, "Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury could be a one and done." Like, oh man, it's yeah, on, right? Oh, it's on. The fans are just waiting. Like, if that thing's a failure, not just Cliff, Kyler Murray too. If that thing's a disaster, ain't gonna be a Baker Mayfield. Reaction. People are going to pounce on that entire franchise, and it's going to be ugly, man. The the one thing they have going for them is Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah. Who can kind of make you think things are okay even if they're not. Yeah. But I'm I'm interested to see it, man. And they uh, have improved their team quite a bit, but not so much around Kyler Murray that I would say, oh, yeah, well, no matter what happens, they've just got so much talent. They really don't. It's not a great team. No. And And they got got, a coach who couldn't win with Patrick Mahomes. It's got – yeah, exactly. It's got the total potential to implode on them, and I kind of am going to enjoy watching what happens. Because it also has the potential for him to be a genius. Everyone said, oh, Chip Kelly can't win in the NFL, and I know it didn't last long. Part yeah. of it was managing people. Part of it was, hey, cut, what was his name, Riley Cooper? Yeah. Cut him. Yeah. I heard from a few people about that, like, that yeah. that, that was the moment. That was the turning point on Chip Kelly. So that yeah. wasn't excellent. Don't try to explain it. Just right. let him go. Just, that's the end of that. Um, but, you know, he came in and everyone said, oh, the college system, it can't work. Yeah. And it did for him for a little while. So maybe Cliff Kingsbury has something dialed up, too. Who's going to do his hair and makeup on the sideline? Oh, Is that man. established yet? Is that because you know he's going to have a, a team of people. Should he do sure. like the, the Sean McVay rhino horn? Some probably. Front? Yeah. But he's going to have a per- he's going to have a team right there. Uh, make sure his you, hair is good. You got to look good on Sundays yeah, on, hey, on the sideline. Make that's sure why the, he's there. Make sure the lighting is right coming down on him. That's why he's there. Uh, our your buddy Kevin Seifert from ESPN. He uh, has been reporting on pass interference and replay. Yeah, doesn't get any better than that for off season. And uh, he tweeted this morning that the NFL has conducted calls with coaches and teams this week, and at some point this summer, the competition committee will decide uh, what, if any, tweaks are needed. Final tweaks to the pass interference replay rule. Myron, give me your best case and worst case scenarios for the NFL's pass interference replay rule. Best case is that we get it right. I mean, 
the, the best case is that we go through the season and we're like, we got it right. And to me, it doesn't start with the replay. It starts with the initial call. Let's do a better job of making the initial call. And then if we have to use replay for only egregious calls, it's not going to be, I think people think that it's going to be, and this is the worst case scenario, people assuming that every pass interference call will be reviewed. No, it's going to be the egregious calls. But even in that scenario, there may still be some debate. So the best case scenario is we're not talking about pass interference next offseason because we feel like this helped. Worst case scenario is we're like, wait a minute, you are doing replay and you're still not getting it right? That's the worst case scenario. Uh, No, I I totally agree with uh, the worst case scenario is that we're talking about it every week. And and you know yes. what what's going to happen here? I can already see it. Is just like with the hitting the quarterback, where last year they're emphasizing certain types of hits, yep. and some guy for the Vikings gets fined twenty thousand dollars for just falling on someone in yep. preseason. Which someday I'm going to find out if you paid that. I don't even know who to talk. Who do you find <laughs> out? Know. Who do I talk to yeah. to find out if you ever paid the twenty G's because he got cut? And I don't think he's ever come back to the league. <laughs> so like, is this guy just, is just out? sitting there? <laughs> he's just out twenty thousand. Is he on a payment plan? I mean, what is that? What do you do? Right? Yeah. I mean, he's you know like working at Cub Foods yeah, and just like you know paying it off. Um, but I think it's going to be rocky from the start. Guys won't know the rules. These coaches who are so obsessed with cover three, cover four, you know, yeah. all that sort of stuff that aren't reading closely on what the actual rules are for pass interference, throwing the hanky when they just think, uh, oh, I should get this call and whatever else, because there's going to be specifics and details, and I'm sure it's going to be frustrating for pretty much everybody for the first, like, five, six weeks. But I thought the NFL did a great job last year of figuring it out with the quarterback hits. Like yeah. By the end, you could hit the quarterback, but everybody knew what you couldn't do. And I, and I thought we were fine. And going forward, I've always been for this. I hate replay in general because I think it slows down games. I think we get it wrong way too often on replays. But this one needed to happen. If you could get 50 yards on a play, yeah. this absolutely <laughs> needed to happen. So uh, I guess that's something, unfortunately, we're going to have to be watching. But what would the NFL be without changing rules hey, every year? We'll be watching <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right, uh, Myron, you got to get going. So we'll come back. We'll wrap up the first hour. Uh, Judd Zolgad, Rami Makhlov will be in for our number two. Hot routes are coming up. Um, we will be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily. I think the first word is balanced. I think you'll see more balance between the run and the pass. Gary Kubiak, balanced offense, does a great job of mixing the run and the pass, but having the run and, tie- and pass tied together. In other words, play action and bootlegs off the run that end up being pass plays that look like running plays to start. That is correct, Charlie Casterly. The Vikings' plan this offseason is to implement an offense that marries the run with the pass, is uh, what we're going to hear a ton through training camp and uh, into the regular season. We'll see if it actually works. As you heard uh, earlier in the hour, Myron Metcalf a little skeptical about exactly how it's going to work, especially with the power structure and what makes this season interesting is uh, the addition of Gary Kubiak, who, by the way, will speak with the media next week. This was uh, sent out this morning, the schedule, and I was sort of just poking through, okay, what time do I have to be out at TCO Performance Center? Oh, interesting. On Thursday, Gary Kubiak will discuss uh, the offense with the media, the final day of mandatory minicamp. That's which, interesting. Yeah, 
Uh, Did you expect to hear from him at all this season? And I don't know how much they're going to do that. Um, Kevin Stefanski is talking on Wednesday. I don't know if this is kind of those once every once in a while he's going to come out and talk or if he's going to be available on a weekly basis to talk. I mean, I I really don't know. Uh, There's so much conversation about his offense changing things and improving Kirk Cousins and maximizing his skill and making the offensive line better that I feel like it's right to have him come out and talk about these things that we're kind of guessing on. I mean, even Charlie Casserly is giving you the broad strokes, and so are we. And Sage Rosenfels uh, was on a bunch with us in the spring. He played for Gary Kubiak and broke down like why the offense works and everything else, but we haven't really heard about his thoughts on this specific roster and how exactly the pieces fit. So that will be something to look for next week. That's Thursday that, that he's going to talk with the media. It'll be um, Stefanski on Wednesday, Kirk Cousins as well. So we will be covering it as always. Scorenorth.com and here on the Purple Daily Show with uh, two of those days. We'll have Courtney Cronin in as well from ESPN. Uh, ran across an article on ESPN that is somewhat interesting to me, an analytics-based article from ESPN, and the headline is this, Pass blocking matters more than pass rushing, and we can prove it, is the headline to the article. So I'm reading through, and you know, uh, Jonathan, I'm an analytics enthusiast, Mm -hmm. and I've got more questions than answers uh, on this. (laughs) Now, so next-gen stats, do you know what next-gen stats are? I know of them. I don't know how the heck they produce them so the player tracking is uh kind of how they produce a bunch of statistics so Mm -hmm. i'll give you an interesting one that again i don't know exactly what the conclusions are but it's sort of mildly intriguing is um they're trying to estimate what the completion percentage would be um on any throw so kind of like the catch percentage for the outfielder where they say, okay, well, Byron Buxton only had a 15% chance of catching that ball. That ball only gets caught 50% of the time. He made it, so that means it's an amazing catch. And, uh, okay, I mean, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with that exactly, but for football, it could kind of give you the idea of what quarterbacks are completing a higher percentage based on the difficulty of their throws than they should be. So maybe it points to accuracy. But would be a good example. So, like Kirk Cousins, his completion percentage was higher than his expected completion percentage. And if you had someone like um, Josh Allen who was inaccurate, you would look at it and say, okay, his completion percentage is way lower than what it was supposed to be for that distance of throw and the distance of people close to the receiver. Of course, a little bit of the problem there is just because you're close to the receiver doesn't mean you're not open. And um, even if you're not that close to the receiver, you might not be as open as you think, depending on who it is, the personnel matters, all these things. So I don't really know how to apply these types of statistics. They're sort of worth going, huh, okay. So they use these to determine when quarterbacks were pressured. Now, I would far rather uh, look at the numbers from PFF because they have people tracking them. So right. former coaches, former players, uh, I know a couple of the former players who work for them, and it's uh, you know it's kind of like okay, you got people. Actually, one of their guys who was doing all the quarterback tracking got hired by the Rams, who is, is a former Robinson? yes, yeah, yeah, former quarterback. So he would be watching as a former quarterback watching and charting these things. 
So kind of with um, a system of how he's supposed to chart whether a quarterback was pressured so it beats a number of qualifiers. Mm-hmm. This is just based on how close a body was to the quarterback, which is, is very hard because just because someone is near you doesn't mean they're actually pressuring you, right? But that's what it tried to do. And I just can't really get behind the conclusion because they try to draw the correlation between being when teams were better at pass blocking, they won more often. But also the teams that won were the Patriots. Uh, Thomas Brady is their quarterback. The Chiefs, Pat Mahomes. The Rams, Sean McVay. Jared Goff's also a number one pick. They had a great system. And the Saints, I mean, these Drew Brees. So a lot of the teams that were really good in pass protection and not getting their quarterback pressured, also it has to do with who that quarterback is, though. Tom Brady gets rid of the ball super fast. No one can pressure him. You saw that in the AFC Championship game. So, I, But if we go on the assumption that there is some truth to the matter, that pass blocking is more important than pass rushing, which I just I see them as being on completely different planes, and I don't know how you could pair them. And I don't mean to be like tearing this article apart, but I just don't get it. Like, why are we comparing these two things? And also, aren't they like on the same play? Someone's pressuring and someone's blocking and whatever. So if you were going to invest, that's how the way you would be looking at this. If you wanted to make the Vikings uh, look bad on this, you would say, well, look, the evidence says that if you block for the quarterback, it's worth more. So why did you keep Everson Griffin? But we could have made that conclusion anyway, since so much of it is just based on the passing game in the NFL, that your top four passing games essentially um, in expected points are the ones who make the championships. I'm not sure exactly what to make of it, but it's interesting. It's at the top of ESPN's uh, NFL page. I'm not... I'm not going to say that it's wrong. Like pass protection is extremely important, but this is the one thing I would say if we're talking about non outside factors of leadership and all that sort of stuff, chemistry, those things could be problematic for the Vikings. I, I think, especially with Rudolph and the fact that Diggs isn't there, we're, we're already kind of in that space of talking about it. But if there's one thing we have not discussed really at all, because of Garrett Bradbury being drafted, is the fact that they didn't get a whole hell of a lot better at pass protection. They got better at run blocking, but they didn't get better at pass protection. Riley Reef is still a below-average tackle when it came to his pass protection grade. We don't know on Brian O'Neill yet. We'll see. I really like his potential, but we'll see. Josh Klein is not good at protecting the passer up the middle. Uh, we don't know on Garrett Bradbury. It wasn't his biggest strength. And with Pat Elfline, he struggled last year with some of the more powerful interior defensive linemen. And then they're playing in a division where it's great. So if this is true, I have lots of questions. But if this is the case, that pass blocking is more important. I want to see more peer study on this from PFF and everything else. But if that is the case, then, yeah, you could say by not spending on someone like Jawan James, who's a tackle, that maybe the Vikings did make a mistake there and where they've invested their money. So... There you have it. ESPN.com is the article, so you can check that out. It is by, before I go to break, and I'm already late, Seth Walder, who writes analytics for ESPN. All right. Guess what's next, Jonathan? Oh, the excitement. I love it. It is time. It is hot routes coming up next with uh, Judd Zolgad, Rami Makhlov, and Jonathan. We'll be right back here on Purple Daily.